November is Thanksgiving month, and it's certainly a good time for us to stop and ask ourselves, who should we take time to thank? So this month's theme for VOE is gratitude. November is also the birth month of our founder, Cavett Robert. November 14th, we've declared that Spirit of NSA Day, and we encourage all the members of NSA to give of themselves on that day, to find a way to give a free speech to a civic club or a a youth group or some charitable organization, to spend some time coaching another person, to help in whatever ways you can, to reach out and be generous this month more than you are most of the time. So this month's issue, with gratitude as the theme, is filled with lots of good interviews for you. The first one we're going to start with is Aleppo Ding. Aleppo Ding was one of the lost boys of Sudan. He was orphaned as a young child, six years old, when his parents were murdered brutally in in an attack in Sudan. And he wandered with thousands of other refugees for years throughout Africa, ultimately making it to the United States. And he met, ultimately, new CPAE, Jeff Sauls, who has now partnered with Aleppo in creating a theatrical event that will inspire everyone. I interviewed Aleppo at our recent conference in Philadelphia and I asked him to tell a little bit of his personal story. I'll tell you folks, if this doesn't put things in perspective for you and cause you to feel grateful for the life that you have, nothing will. Let's hear a little bit of his story right now. Jeff Sauls became my friend two years mm-hmm. ago when we met. And, and, and he calls me a man who fell through times because that is true. You know, I was born and raised, uh, grew up in a, in a world so different from, uh, from America that when I came to U.S., things were so strange and different for me, you know. But because of a civil war, I was forced uh, to flee my country. How old were you? <coughs> I was, uh, when I left, I was seven years old. And I left because mainly my village was attacked and, uh, and I was separated from my family. So I found myself with a bunch of people that I didn't know uh, from same area mm-hmm. that were fleeing the, the violence, you know, to just seek uh, some safe place to cover up yeah. until the whole thing go away. And then they, they, they thought that they were going to return home. Not many people returned back to their villages. Some just really fled. And I was among with people, you know. I never got to go back to my own village, you know. So I walked with the masses of people, and we went to a, a camp that they, they call IDP, me- meaning internally displaced camp, mm-hmm. within the country, you know. And the camps that were within the country were not safe enough, so, because the government kept coming, and the soldiers kept coming and attacking. And so often we were forced from one camp to another, I went to Kenya, you know, and that's, uh, that was the final destination after going through all the, the fleeing from one camp to another, you know, and obviously surviving every attack that comes, you know, that I have witnessed. Yeah. So making it to the camp in Kenya, uh, the United States government decided that uh, they were going to help some of us refugees. So uh, the U.S. chose to take us, and that's how 
out of 16,000 that survived the, the walk and starvation and, and, and bullets, 4,000 were chosen to, to come to U.S. And I came as one of them to U.S. Wow. So when I first came to U.S. and I landed in JFK, I met this man, a short, you know, bearded man with a lot of hair on his face. And, uh, and he introduced himself to me. His name was Payson Steven. Uh, gave me his phone number and he said, give me a collect call. You know, remember I'm some, I That's was right. born, I came from a village and never seen light or electricity, you know, never been on the plane. That's the first time I was on the plane coming from Africa. That had to be to surreal. Wow. Right. What a strange experience that must have yeah. been. So I, never, I, so I don't know how to use a phone. So when mm -hmm. he gave me all these figures saying, give me a collect call, I didn't know what a collect call was because sure. I'd never used a phone before. But eventually I connected with Payson. So I became friend with Payson. Payson sort of almost adapted me like my surrogate dad. In the process, I met Dr. Jeff. And Jeff was going to help me because uh, a few years earlier, I'd, I'd actually told my story, uh, recorded it in a book that was out in public out there. And peop uh, people at school were asking me to come out and speak and, and tell my story mm -hmm. of survival. So Dr. Jeff, uh, he was going to help me become a speaker. You may have the best story in the world, and, and, you, and you may not know how to tell it. So how will it captivate people or touch people or inspire people? And, uh, and since I met Jeff, I have been able to clearly uh, uh, tell my story in a structural way that actually help people, the audience, when they hear my story. It well, I can them. validate that because you're very articulate and... and uh, my attention hasn't wavered for a nanosecond since you started talking. At what point did you learn English? I actually learned English in the refugee camp. That's when I started. So the, uh, I didn't know what school was because all I knew, my father used to tell me stories uh, at night after dinner. My father would tell us stories of great-great-grandfathers. Some of them were warriors. Some of them were successful people, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would hear those stories as a kid. But when I came to, when I finally made it to a refugee camp in Kenya, there was this thing called school. And I didn't know what that meant. So one day I, I went to a community meeting and there was a man and he explained, because I, I never really understood the whole thing, what the war was all about, you know. Yeah. So this man stood up and he, and he said, the reason that uh, our government keep attacking us is because we... We, we do not have this, this thing called magic, and this magic is called education, you know. And it makes you see, think, under, you know, things that are under the earth. And it also makes you go to, to other worlds in the sky, you know. And he gave example, that's why American people go to the moon, that's why they went to the moon, it's because of this magic thing. You have to study to become this magician so you can change the world, so you can actually know the power that you have, you have the opportunity. Because now, the UN is giving you education. So why don't you go to school and learn this magic so you can help uh, uh, help your people? So I remember saying to myself, I want that magic. I want to see, you know. Yeah. And the next day, I went to school and registered my my name in school. Wow. And that's how I went to school. 
Alepho's story is very inspiring. And when he met Jeff Sauls, Jeff and he started collaborating to create a play that they could put on in a theatrical sense and tell his story alongside Jeff's own story so that the two of them are providing a contrast that helps you see the world in a much richer way. In order to understand what they did with this play and, and the impact it had, I'd like you to hear from Jeff himself. It was marvelous. We, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff, climbing, this and that. The hardest thing I've ever done, two months, we memorized lines. Two months, we got up early and before dawn and walked on the beach at Torrey Pines, and yep. people thought we were crazy. You see these two guys, big, tall, black guy, little, short, Jewish guy, gesticulating in the early morning, our hands flying, mumbling to ourselves. We worked on these lines. We nailed it. We, uh, we talked to our friends, did the social media thing. We, we sold out the theater, lines down the street. Love yeah. that. Yeah, love that. So it's like a Hollywood premiere in a non-Hollywood setting. My daughter yeah. did the direction. My 14-year-old son did the, the, did the keynote PowerPoint behind. We had another <laughs> friend of hers doing the lights. It was a full-on quasi-Hollywood production or Broadway production. And, and I'll tell you, the lines came through us. It was a huge success. We got the standing ovation that wouldn't quit. The most fun was afterwards, Aleph and I walked into a restaurant down the street, and the restaurant was full of our, our attendees. The whole mm -hmm. restaurant leaped to their feet. And oh. I, I've gotten those compulsory standing ovations in a theater, but when you're out of the theater and you're somewhere else, and that was exciting. Right. So uh, yeah. we feel thrilled. We re really feel thrilled. Thank you, Alepho. We admire you and we're glad you're a part of NSA. And thank you, Jeff Sauls, for bringing him to us. To answer the perpetual question, how else can we make money in the speaking business, I reached out to the amazing Jeff Hazlett. Here are some ideas you may not have yet considered. They should never give up. I mean, they should just have to make the calls. They have to do it, you know. We talked about if you want to play football, you got to practice. you got to get out there. you got to put the helmet on and get out there. Exactly. Not just hang out at the parties or, or, you know, wear a jersey. Yeah. You know, and so that's the key thing, I think, for a lot of speakers. They just don't take the time and, and, or they give up after the first time. And you can't do that in this game. I can't tell you the number of times I've actually been on the set and they've cut me. That happens all the time. You know, and don't get mad about it. Right. You know, just that's yeah, just the nature indignant. of the game. Trust that's, me. That's the world don't, you've chosen. Exactly. That's the name of the game. So the president had to make a bigger announcement than what I was going to do. Yeah. The president of the United States just got cut me. Are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> I'm okay it. with yeah. it. All right. Great. You know, I've always realized even though I don't know how big you think you are, there's always someone bigger. Exactly. You know, that's the way it goes. Exactly. Well, I've had a number of speaking engagements over the years that I'd go in and I'm prepared for 45 minutes or an hour, hour oh. and a half, and they say, hey, could you do that? In 20 minutes because oh. we've got to do x you know and i love that yeah i could do part of that in 20 minutes yeah. so just roll exactly yeah <laughs> I, i've got up where they said we're, we're running three hours behind could you give me your best 10 minutes you no know, problem I, one time in stillwater oklahoma i had that happen to me and i got up and i knew the audience was going to groan when they started to introduce another speaker me in this yeah. case no matter who it had been, they would have grown because they'd been sitting too long. Right. So I stepped up to the microphone and I said, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness a miracle. You're going to hear a one-hour talk in 15 minutes. Get your pencils out. And, <laughs> and I, I loved said, it. Da -da 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 -da, got a standing O. <laughs> yeah, they love it. They love it. I love that. I love that. Well, I love that. But the, the world that you've managed to not only penetrate but, but uh, begin to master is a world that runs parallel to NSA in many ways. Mm-hmm. And there are speaking opportunities, there are fees to be earned. Give us a little insight into how that, you know, thinking monetarily, 
How do people find paying opportunities, not just a chance to be on somebody's news show and make some visibility? But that's the way to do it. I mean, the more visibility you get, the more you're going to be able to do. It's just like somebody will say, oh, I don't do free speeches. Are you crazy? I do some free speeches in the heartbeat. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to go speak to Intel with 600 CEOs at this event uh, and they ask me to do it for free, I'm going because I walk out of there with six other speeches and three board of, in- board of director invitations, you know, yeah. because I'm, I'm you know participating as an investor in some of those companies. Companies and some companies, I'm an advisor. I get paid for that. I get. I just had one deal that just popped out four million dollars. Four, you know, I've been on the board for one year, and one year later, four million dollars. Awesome. I love those kind of opportunities. And and it's from the speaking that I got those activities. So the more speaking I do, the more business that comes to me. So now, did you start with a, a team of people working with you, or did you start with pretty much you and a couple of assistants? <laughs> was, no, it was me. It was me. It, was just it started you, huh? with me, and then I, then I, and I, how I, long ago? Oh, this is well, you know, I did this a number of years ago, and then I built my business, and then I've gone to corporate, and then come back. But the, okay. but three years ago when I left, uh, I was a CMO at a Fortune 100 company, mm-hmm. uh, I stepped off, it was just me. And then my wife, and then I asked my daughter to join, and my wife was, of course, working with me without pay, which she's still doing. Yeah. And uh, now I have... Oh, it tw- must be tough on her. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> well, she travels a lot with me. She's here with me this weekend. And um, But at the same time, well, I know me, and I'm mar- and I wouldn't be married to me, so I know it is tough for her. The um, But I have like 29 people now, and about six of those are devoted just to our speaking and what we call the Jeff Hazel brand, yeah. the speaking, the TV, and the books and the other activity that we do, which is, you know, again, a multi-million dollar business for us. And then we have our, our consulting practice, and then we have a PR practice as well. I so, love that. Yeah, it's just good, you know. And But but, but everybody got to remember, you know, the other thing i give you advice is, is go to where the food is, you know, the Sam Kinison model of move to where the food is. And, and a lot of speakers are, you know, I will drop anything. And to go do media, to go do, you know, get get those gigs, get that visibility, and and I won't, and I'll do them all. Mm-hmm. I'll even do the guys that have the blog talk radio that only have you know them and their mother listening, right? Because I can activate them my social media, and everybody goes, "Oh my gosh, he's, he's everywhere. everywhere! He's yeah. everywhere!" And that's what we go. want it to look like. And and well, that plus you capture some of those little uh, pearls content that, yeah. that oh, yeah. you can use. Well, I can practice new oh, yeah. things. I mean, yeah. just like I'm doing here, I see how far I can push it, you know, yeah. and have some fun with it. And you go, "Oh, that was good. I'm going to use that again." <laughs> <laughs> well, this is. Perfect. Thank you. It's, it's, it's a delightful insight into a world that many of us would like to be in and few of us have yet to travel. Thank you so much, Jeff. We are all members of not only NSA, but also the Global Speakers Federation. Canadian member Cheryl Cran is the immediate past GSF president, and I asked her to help us understand our speaker world even better. Global Speakers Federation consists of 11 member countries, and the whole purpose of the Global Speakers Federation was to provide a forum for us to access other countries and other speaking associations that are outside of North America. I'm, I'm yeah. from Canada, so I'm considered an international speaker, right? Um, right? And, and yeah, I have a border. fair amount of uh, business in the U.S. I've been very blessed to have that opportunity and to do that. Um, but the, the Speakers Federation is really about um, working in different countries and understanding the different countries, how they approach the speaking business and how they, they deal with their clients in their particular cultures. So if you look at, for instance, we have Canada, we have Germany, we have Singapore, Malaysia, South Africa, um, UK, Australia, uh, Australia. long standing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so really NSA, for many NSA's uh, uh, members listening, they might think, that their reality is the NSA reality. 
And in reality, reality, <laughs> there is a big global reality. And so I've had the privilege as current GSF president of traveling to all of these member countries. And when you go to each of these member countries, what you quickly realize is there is way more happening beyond North America than mm -hmm. many of us are aware of. And in order to be successful in our businesses, I believe personally that diversification and global knowledge are key things in the future. Mm -hmm. Really believe that. What about the speakers that say, well, I, you know, I don't expect to do any international travel. I'm, my business is domestic-based, either in Canada or in the U.S. How, what would you say to that person? I would say you're still global. Because with technology, with Skype technology, with Google Hangouts, with mm -hmm. all of the technology we have, um, I would I would venture to guess, and I would ask anybody listening to ask themselves about the last audience they addressed. And if you were to look at the dynamics of that audience, I would I would bet you money that there's people who traveled from other countries to attend that event. And being globally astute is crucial to future success as a speaker. Mm -hmm. We can no longer be myopic and look at our own country and think that this is the reality. We've got to be looking at other cultures and the impact of that on our business. So let's take it one more step into their thinking, Th those that have limited information at present. Uh, they say, well, okay, but, I, you know, I already belong to my nation's association. I don't know if I want to join the Global Federation. They're already a member. Let that sink in, folks. You're already a member of the Global Speakers Federation. By virtue of being a member of NSA or any of our 11 member associations, you're mm -hmm. automatically a member of the Global Speakers Federation, which is a huge member benefit. Yeah, because that means we've got colleagues we're already connected in an accessible way with in all these various countries. Yes, and you and I know this is a relationship business. Yeah. So if I know someone in Singapore, it's likely that I could probably expand my business in Singapore if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So the opportunities from the Global Speakers Federation for NSA members is massive. And I'm very passionate about that. I've worked really hard in the last few years of really helping that sink in and really yeah. recognizing the value here of Global Speakers Federation. When our colleagues know that we're coming to their country, I can tell you the hospitality that I was given simply by arriving. People are eager to show off their country. They're eager to show off their clients. They're eager to show off. And it's that, that, that spirit of Cavett, which really is global it's it's beyond what the, the, what we originally thought it was. It's a yeah. global phenomenon. That is so right, and and I hadn't thought of it in that context. But you're right. It's the spirit of Cabot. Thank you, Cheryl. Now let's check in with our president, Ron Carr. In September, I had the privilege of attending and speaking at the German Speakers Association Convention. Thank you to all my colleagues in Germany for their splendid hospitality. Danke. The opening keynote speaker was Sabine Askerdam, and she talked about the differences between American and German speakers, how the Americans tend to use more stories, and how the Germans, on the other hand, use few stories and loads of content. She then made this powerful point. She encouraged the audience that there needs to be a middle ground that leverages the strength of both styles of speaking. Sabine is absolutely correct. We need to use stories as a means for engaging our audiences, but our stories must be relevant to the audience and have a point. You can lose an audience if you share a story without making a relevant point. As I sat there listening to the other keynoters, I started to wonder whether my keynote was going to be on target because right off the bat, I tell a story about a sport that is not popular in Germany. The story of my daughter and her 2009 championship softball team. As per my research, even though Germany has softball leagues, the game of softball itself was not well known. 
I also realized, sitting in the audience, that German speakers do not share stories about their families. So what do I do? Go with what I have or change the opening? I decided to go with what I had because the value of the story to the audience was not about my daughter or softball. It was about what happened in that championship game and how the adjustments they made in their mindset helped this group of 14-year-olds win the championship. My whole keynote was about the mindsets from which we sell and using the right mindset to grow our businesses. When the talk ended, I got very positive feedback on the presentation from several of my German colleagues. I also got some feedback from a dear friend who said I made two critical mistakes in my first two minutes, but that I recovered and gave a great talk. The two mistakes? Using a story on softball and talking about family. It was suggested I may next time switch the story to football, which in America we refer to as soccer, which most Germans can relate to. While that may be true, I wanted it to be a personal story that I personally experienced, which allowed me to make my point and support the main message from a place of authenticity. Talking about a sport for which I had no experience would remove that authenticity. I am sure all of you face the same dilemmas on what to do with certain audiences. What I got out of this experience is to first do your research. Secondly, go with your best sp stuff where your authenticity will shine through all the potential negatives. And finally, make sure your point is strong and relevant to the audience. For if your point is strong and relevant, everything else is secondary and your speech will still be considered a success. Speaking of working overseas, I urge you to consider attending a Global Speaker Summit in Vancouver, Canada on December 8th through 10th. This event is held every other year, and for the first time, it's taking place in North America. This year's Global Speaker Summit is dedicated to professionals who are committed to making the choices necessary to increase their relevancy in today's world while preparing for a change tomorrow. Go to gss2013.com to reserve your spot today. November is the time for Thanksgiving, turkey, and family. I want to offer my thanks to the NSA staff and members for their support and wish all of you and your families a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you again, Ron, for your continuing leadership. This month, we institute a new segment for VOE, Glad You Asked. This is your forum to do what Ron Carr has suggested, and that is to let us know what you'd like to know more about. Greg Williams has agreed to be our CLO, Chief Listening Officer, and to bring your questions to us. I'd like to welcome to VOE once again a former interviewee and now our Chief Listening Officer, Greg Williams. Greg has agreed to take on the role, finding out what is it members, chapters, leaders, etc. are wondering about that maybe we can answer through this forum. Greg, welcome back to VOE. Thank you, Jim. And it's going to be an exciting segment for sure, because as we go about listening to the NSA members, I'm sure we'll be able to provide a lot of insight to questions that they have. And CLO is, is such a, a cool new title. I, I like that you're the guy who's wearing that. <laughs> hey, it feels good. It feels good. Chief listener. Well, as you've listened this past month or so, what have you heard out there? What are people wondering about? Well, you know, we have a very interesting question that has been posed by the membership, and it is, 
what's the difference between NSA, national, Mm -hmm. and chapters? And I thought, wow, what an interesting question to pose for sure for this first edition of our segment. So, Jim, how about addressing it? Uh, Happy to. As a matter of fact, this one has some roots because that same question was coming up back years ago when I was national president. Mm. And the fact of the matter, Greg, is that there is no NSA that's separate from the member. You know, people say, well, when's NSA going to do this? Or why won't NSA do that? Or NSA won't let me X or something like that. And it's like NSA is this thing out there that is somehow looming over them and controlling their world on some level. Where would you consider NSA to reside? This is going to sound philosophical, and I guess it is, but it really is the truth. It exists in the dynamic interaction between two people or more who are in this business. Okay, now now, now let's pause for a moment. Okay. Two people or more that are in this business. Yep. That sounds somewhat profound. Expand, please. Okay, well, for, for a philosophical reference, consider there's, there's a passage in the Bible that says, it, it's supposed to be God speaking. He says, wheresoever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I also. Okay. So take that concept outside of a religious context and apply it philosophically to, to what we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. NSA isn't our staff. NSA isn't those of us that have agreed to, to do non-paid leadership functions. NSA isn't the committee members or the other people. NSA is the members of NSA. People say, well, wait, 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 wait. I, you know, I go to my chapter, and, uh, and that's not the same as the national. Well, no, because there are fewer of you. And all of you have one thing in common. You all live in that region. Um, they say, well, how come i got to pay different dues for national membership and, and local membership? Well, the same reason you pay state taxes for the roads in your state and national taxes for the interstate highway system. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> we don't want NSA's headquarters staff to be generating uh, things that ought to be generated only in the local area. Uh-huh. So the reason I pay dues to the greater Los Angeles chapter of NSA is so that we can do the things that only we do in greater Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. reason I pay my main dues to the NSA, the National Speakers Association, is to be a member of this organization that has a gathering in Los Angeles each month. So, uh-huh. so what a chapter is, is a local gathering of NSA members. So there's only one. NSA. The other is just the ways in which NSA has gathered together. And, and back to my comment about the exchange between two people, what you and I are doing right now in this dialogue is an NSA meeting, pure and simple. Okay. Okay. And if there were 50 others among us and we were in a national teleconference, that would also be NSA. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you and I went to a football game and we were sitting there rooting for our teams, that would not be an NSA meeting, even though both of us are members of NSA. Does that make sense? Oh, it definitely does. And, and you know, Jim, if I had to paraphrase, I would then say NSA is within us. And when we connect with another NSA member, it becomes ignited, and thus it shines through. Ooh. Is that a good paraphrase? Ooh. Well, I'm not, not that eloquent, but that's pretty good. I like that. 
Well, okay. Yeah. And, and I want you to keep listening for questions like that, because this is exactly what we need to be bringing to VOE. And, and if I'm not the person for the answers, we can turn to Ron Carr, we can turn to Stacy at the headquarters or some of the other folks that are in positions to, to give a more in-depth answer. But this is good work you're doing. And on behalf of the members of NSA, we appreciate your being our new chief listening officer, Greg. Well, Jim, I am happy to take up such a role, and I would like to thank you personally for actually chairing VOE this year because it's through the innovations that you've created, along with Ron Carr, our national president, that has really given us this big push to provide more insight to members. And with this new section titled, Glad You Asked, <laughs> it's going to be a forum whereby members can really get some additional insight about NSA. So thank you too, sir. You bet. Thank you, Greg. I'm glad you asked. I'm Ana Layada, and I'm chairing the first ever NSA Platform Profits Lab, January 3rd through the 5th, 2014 in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us to learn from industry leaders how to maximize your profits at every speaking engagement by knowing what to do before, during, and after every event. Our faculty of rock star leaders like Jeff Walker, Kevin Nations, and Randy Gage are excited to share their most profitable secrets to diversify your revenue streams, leverage, and grow your business. The average speaker takes home only 30% of the sales that were possible from the stage. Do you want to know how to convert the other 70%? At Platform Profits, we're going to get right to the business of growing your business. You'll learn how to convert your audience members from passive attendees into buying customers by crafting offers they can't refuse. And we're not just talking about books and CDs. Think masterminds, VIP programs, and beyond. Our faculty member, Maritza Parra, will teach us how to transform our lists into tribes of delighted customers and advocates for years to come. So if you know you're sitting on a gold mine and you're ready to convert it to cash in the bank, join us at the Platform Profits Lab, January 3rd through the 5th. Can't wait to see you in Phoenix to kick off an extraordinary 2014. Here's an interview in our continuing series on storytelling from special correspondent Kevin McNulty. He's interviewing Alton Chung at the Storytellers Festival. I was a storyteller first, and I was mostly interested in ghost stories because that, as a child I was terrified of ghost stories. I realized as I grew older that this is a slice of culture where I grew up in Hawaii, that everyone tells ghost stories, but, you know, and it's changing now. And, but that was it, part of the, the culture that I grew up with, that was an integral part of it. And so that's why I started. The historical stories uh, is because I realized that the story of the 440, 100th Battalion 442nd stories are not being told, out, they're well known in the Asian community, they're well known in Hawaii, but when I was talking with another storyteller who was also a teacher, and we're talking about World War II stories, and I told him, gee, you know, some of the stories you're telling me reminds me of the stories I heard growing up as the 442 boys. And he said, well, who are those guys? And it dawned on me that up here on the mainland that, you know, outside of the Asian communities, these stories are not being told. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, someone needs to do this. And so I spent two years just collecting material, not knowing what to do, what to do. And then, um, you know, I, I spoke to another, you know, one of my mentors, his uncle, 
he, he said, oh, let's go over to my uncle's house. He lives in the same town where I live in. Let's go have coffee. And he began, as we talked, his wife brought out this case that had all these medals in it. And I looked at these medals and said, that's the Bronze Star. And he said, yeah, this is the one I'm most, impressed, I'm most happy with. This is the presidential unit citation. And I looked at this man and I said, you remember the 442? And he said, yeah. I said, can I interview you? He said, sure. And uh, my, my mentor kind of nudges me and says, he didn't talk about this to anybody. And it realized that, the, okay, these stories are closely held. Not many people know about it. And yet, you know, it's, these are critical stories. And that's how I can tell this huge story through the eyes of one person. And that's how the whole thing got started. And as I, as I was doing research, I got one story, and that led me to other stories. And pretty soon I had a whole show of historical stories. And then, you know, so these are the combat veteran stories. And as I was doing World War II research, I said, oh, then all these internment camp stories here. So when you tell these stories, Alton, do, you, you know, what do people come up to you and say afterwards? A lot of people say, thank you for telling these stories. These stories are important. Or I, didn't, I learned a lot from this. And it makes me realize, put in the context, a lot of things that I've heard, but I didn't know a lot about what happened in the internment. I didn't know, you know, my neighbors, things happened to my neighbors. I heard things about friends, but I didn't quite put it together. And now I understand the larger picture of what was going on. Or I was a lot of saying, I'm glad you're telling these stories. These stories will disappear if we don't tell them. Thank you for preserving this, these stories because they're important, as I said, because they tell us who we are and how things became the way they are. And it also is a commentary on what it is to be human. And I think to me that's the real gift of storytelling is that, you know, you, you, know, you laugh, you cry, and, and, you know, these stories pick you up and, you know, make your spirit sore, but it also brings you back to remembering what it is to be human and to understand that the connection between what we all share. So, Alton, what's the importance of someone, let's say, who's with the National Speakers Association, who is mostly doing motivational or business-type speaking, how important are stories to what they do? And, you know, and, and speak to the power of a story from your perspective. It's, I, I think they're, you know, they're just stretching of a continuum. You know? And I think stories, they make up a little anecdotes, little stories that prove your point or illustrate things. You know, people, when they look at graphs, they charts and things like that, they go, yeah, okay, we get it. But three months from now, what do they remember? They remember the stories about what happened, why this is significant. That's what we, I think we're, we are, we are I think hardwired to remember things that way. We attach a story with an emotional content and that's what we remember. We remember how we got there. We may not remember all the facts and figures, but we understand the significance of the action and why we need to do things. When the Japanese, um, so, you know, the Japanese Americans, when they went to war, they never left Hawaii before. They didn't know what to expect. But there was, a, uh, in Japanese language school, there was a class on ethics in which they told stories of heroes and adventurers in Japan and things like that. And when these boys were in Europe and they're fighting in Europe and they're in situations they've never been in before, they said, we don't know what to do. How do we behave? And they fell back upon these stories that they heard about, you know, the heroes of Japan and things like that, how they conducted themselves. And they realized we have to conduct ourselves, you know, with honor because we are representing, you know, all these people back home and that's how they were able to figure out what to do and why you know they're of that generation where they do good things they don't say anything because that's bragging but they did amazing heroic things and it's you know now they're being recognized and now they realize we've got to start telling these stories because gee we're in our 80s and 90s now once we go we take our stories with us thank you kevin and alton one of our members who has done a great job of capturing legacies is the ever-delightful Mary Loverdi. 
Let's get her perspective. We've all heard the phrase, never forget where you came from. Well, Mary's found a way to preserve the legacy of a family. And what better way to give thanks to the people who helped you get to where you are today than by capturing their stories. Well, I wrote this book called Touching Tomorrow because as a gift for my family, I interviewed my mother-in-law in in a review of her life. Mm -hmm. And I asked her questions like, Esther, what was your earliest recollection? What were you like as a child? Tell me about your first kiss. Tell me about your wedding day, your proudest moment, your greatest disappointment. If you had your life to live over, what one thing would you do differently? What this did was gave us this enormous amount of benefits. You know, one of the things I teach is every action should have more than one benefit as opposed Mm -hmm. to doing two things at once. And this is a great way that your legacy can go on and on. So she said things like... um, that she was a nurse and she went to Chicago and she was 15 years old and in those days with we didn't have antibiotics or vaccines and she um, got one of got I think uh, smallpox Mm. and um, you know I didn't know any of this about her that you know many of these young student nurses were children and they worked in children's hospitals and they caught these diseases and died she told me about dancing to the Lawrence Welk band in a ballroom in Chicago and uh, she told me about um, her mother and her father. I was captivated. And when I showed it to her son and their family, you know, they were so moved. And I, as a former researcher, I wanted to know what exactly was this. And I realized that we intuitively know that what they did, who they were, it shaped us. Mm-hmm. And so we end up learning about ourselves. So I always tell those of us who are getting a little older and recognize that we're now, you know, um, the top of the family tree, mm-hmm. that um, we owe it to them to tell them who they are, where they came from, why things are the way they are, and to really give them an opportunity to look at. We want to know who we belong to. And so I have been preaching this over and over to people to please give this gift. Um, it's also a great idea for you know uh, when the CEO leaves mm-hmm. or one of the be- the beloved secretary leaves or whatever. Oh, to, to do it as corporate legacy. A corporate legacy, absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean this could be a service we offer our clients. The night guard who is been a fixture and is always there in the morning to open the door and the place looks great when he or she retires what a better thing we want to know who about you then when the new night guard comes in say here are the shoes you're filling we loved this person and you could even if you have captured the story of say the night guard you could make that a gift to them as a retirement gift in addition to preserving the legacy for the corporation. I love that. This is good. Yeah, well, and this is what I like about these sort of universal themes that people want to know who they belong to. They mm-hmm. want to know where they came from is that people listening to this will go, well, I got a better idea than that. Yeah. And they will, just like you came up with an idea, hopefully they will come up with ways to do this. Well, this is corporate culture we're talking about. You know, family culture, societal culture, traditions, rituals, uh, stories, it, and that's where culture lives, is in these stories. And I will tell you, 
when you interview, let's say, your parents, your grandparents, whomever, that you think you know really, really well, yeah. but you ask the questions in the book, you will get answers you like, really, Mom, really? You never told us that? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, I didn't know that it mattered that I'd been married before when I was 19. It's like, really? <laughs> you have 11 brothers, yeah. yeah. Right. I, so that is fun. It's, it's one of those joyous things that the person feels so important that we really want to know about it. Yeah. You know, sometimes elders are concerned about being on video and saying yeah. it wrong. Um, so take grandpa fishing. You know, let him oh, throw that idea. out. Have grandma make the fabulous spaghetti sauce. Sometimes I tell people to just pour a cup of coffee, sit at the kitchen table, yeah. and have a conversation. You know, my dad um, did this years ago, and of course he had enormous resistance. And so um, I said to him, who's your mentor? He said, well, my father. And I said, okay, so he's a banker. So I said, how much would you pay me if I told you that I have a videotape of you interviewing your father and he's telling you about his philosophy of life stories about when you're young and how much he loved your mother what would you pay me for that wow. well my dad's a good stubborn German yeah. <laughs> so he stood up and stomped off mad and I looked in there and he's looking through the pages of the book and then he gave the most brilliant interview he was plucked off of a farm in Iowa at the age of 17 dropped into the middle of the South Pacific and told to fight in World War II as a radar man. Mm -hmm. He had never said one word about the war. But when I asked him, wow. he went on and on and on. So people want to tell their stories even if you think they don't, mm -hmm. and it's wildly important to us. Thank you, Mary. We will be better people when we follow your advice. Welcome to VOE Jeff Davidson pleased to be here. One of the things that Jeff is known for is that you are very good at managing the intricacies of our business in that you have figured out how to take all your old articles, keep them as a resource that's readily accessible that can be leveraged for marketing or for education or whatever. You've got all the content in a way that it can be found. Tell us how you think about all this. There are lots of opportunities every time you leave your office to create artifacts that will enable you to get more speeches, that will open doors, that will help you to just, in general, see the whole business as a pleasure. Let me just walk you through, say, a typical encounter with a client. Okay. You're booked. It's three or four months hence, all right? Mm -hmm. Will there be a brochure starring Jim Cathcart at this convention? If there is a brochure, can you get a copy of it? Can you scan that? Or is there a copy online? Or if not a brochure, will, be, will there be a flyer? Mm -hmm. Is there a URL link to the actual conference itself? Nine times out of ten, there is. Each of those instances represents an opportunity for you to capture the artifact that says, Jim Cathcart is appearing here. Mm -hmm. So even before you've given this speech, let's say it's a state association. Okay. Theoretically, you could take that flyer, that brochure, that link, whatever it says about you, send it to the other 49 associations before you've even given that one speech. Ooh, I All like right? that. So there yeah. you are. Now, you can put it on your website. You can put it on your blog. You can send it to your LinkedIn people, your you Facebook Twitter, people, your yeah. Twitter. So all these opportunities are available all the time. And these are free already. I mean, No-cost marketing. Absolutely. Will this group make a PR announcement about 
the meeting? Mm -hmm. Will you be the star of the announcement? Will they put a newsletter article into their monthly publication about this meeting and mentioning you? Will there be other announcements? Will there be other artifacts? You always look for these with each engagement. And I'll tell you something, they're there for the taking. Well, what's amazing is as I hear you run down this list, we're talking about a, a year's worth of marketing materials, one booking. And you didn't spend anything on the creation of the marketing material. Not only did you not spend a dime, but it turns out to be much more useful for you than if you had spent a dime because it's That's other true, groups it's touting words. you. Exactly. Yeah. But it gets much better, Jim, <laughs> oh, much good. better. On your part now, have you thought about submitting articles to the group in advance of your presentation? After your presentation, mm -hmm. can you contribute to their blog, to their zine, to their monthly magazine, to an e-blast, to anything they're doing to help raise awareness, to maybe have more members sign up? Or and more to engage. Yeah, I can see where if you do submit, say, an article for their blog, a short article, so that they would put it in their blog, and you're available to them to answer questions from the comment section, That's right. then you've engaged your audience before they ever even met you. So in other words, you have all these opportunities with each engagement. Now on speech day, you ready for this? <laughs> on speech day, will there be a roving photographer? That's the first thing you look for. Because when else are you going to look that good? <laughs> and the shots yeah. are for free, and it's in a location that you can't otherwise emulate. That's right, and you can't stage that big of an audience in front of you in those big wide shots. And by well, the way, I give that photographer my, my personal business card that's right. for direct contact with me, and I, and I just ask him, you know, please let me know as soon as this and, is over. And you get yeah. that card as well because you've got to keep track. Yeah. Now, will the presentation be audio recorded, video recorded? If so, you absolutely have to get a copy of that. If it won't be and you know in advance, try to get... It put into your speaker contract mm -hmm. or a side letter. Bring your own equipment. Have a buddy in the audience. Hire a group. Get yourself recorded. Because once you get yourself recorded, now another series of artifacts ensues. Are you ready for this? You can now use that recording, audio or video, to leverage for other speeches. Mm -hmm. Give to the next meeting planner. You can create a product around each of those. You can use some of the artifacts we already discussed from the brochures and the flyers themselves that maybe might make a nice cover as a cutaway. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could capture a portion of that graphic, right? You can now have a live demo if you want. Put it on your own website. You can have an audio link to it. You can cut it into pieces. Cut it into pieces, make it podcast, blog posts, YouTube. Yeah. You can transcribe the presentation and now have articles made out of the speech itself. Have the transcription accompany the recording and sell it as a package. Mm -hmm. Or if the transcription is so good, maybe it adds to a book you're working on. So the point is, there's no end. This is an upward spiral that never needs to end. <laughs> I love it. We go on. Spin-offs. For sale products as a result of that speech. So you could have your audio, you could have your video, you could have your transcript. But if you don't get anything that's sellable, you can cut up pieces of it and put it on YouTube. You can have your own YouTube channel. You can put it on your own website. You can create a mini demo video, just five minutes to pass out to meeting planners or send out. Now, post speech. Okay. 
Kudo letters. I have 450 posted on my website and another 200 I haven't even put up yet. So each of these artifacts, as you apply to the next group and the next, have you spoken to bankers? Sure, here's all my bankers' letters. Have you mm -hmm. spoken to insurance agents? Sure, here's all the insurance letters. Have you spoken in Oklahoma? Yeah, here's my Oklahoma letters. Wow. And so on. Post-speech, you also look for the commentary that comes your way. Do you get evaluations back? Is there a summary page of the evaluations? Were you rated the highest speaker? Which happens. It's newsworthy, yeah. It's You're, absolutely yeah. newsworthy. Every time you leave your door and you come back, you've got artifacts that may lead to the next speech, may lead to a product, may lead to something that can benefit you. I love the way you're, you're positioning all this because thinking about artifacts is something outside of most of our radar. We think about, okay, I can get some video footage or I can get whatever. But if you look at it in the terms of what artifacts are available to me, then all these possibilities start opening up. And man, this is, this is a thing of beauty you're describing. They do. Here. Now, I have a checklist, which I use. Yeah. And you can't do everything every time, so don't beat yourself up over it. But if you can do three or four, five or six, you're way ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. Now, after the speech itself, could you get a photo of you in the meeting planner? They're much more likely to pose with you after a great speech than before, right? <laughs> Any luminaries in the audience? Any audience member coming up to you? You and I both know people who will capture video of people coming up to you afterwards mm -hmm. and saying, oh, that was a great speech. And then that speaker will take that little snippet and put it on their site because a live testimonial speaks volumes. If it's an association, will there be an industry editor? You bet there will because in the From convention. From their national or international magazine. That's yeah. right. And on the exhibit floor. Very often you'll have the various publications in that genre. And some speakers don't even visit the They expo. don't even visit the floor. and They don't yeah. talk to any of the editors. Very often you can strike up a relationship. You can submit to them afterwards a ready-made article or a Q&A article that looks like they interviewed you. Mm -hmm. Or you could do a recording on the spot. In other words, keep your eyes and ears open. Possibilities are just Endless. No kidding. And you just stimulated an idea for me. After your speech, if there's an expo, go on an appreciation tour of the expo floor. Hand out for things, CDs. Looking for things to appreciate and compliment. So that's your assignment. I'm just going through here. I'm not prospecting. I'm not networking. I'm praising. Absolutely. You walk through there. You say, Jeff, I love this booth. Man, so many practical ideas. Good job. Excellent. Now, very quickly. Suppose you want to create artifacts and you don't have a particular speech in mind or there's nothing on the horizon. Just sitting at home, at your desk, what can you do? Okay. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Are you touted on anybody else's website? Have you made blog entries or have other people put you in their prestigious blog? I've been in Diana Boer's blog. I've been on uh, Mark Sanborn's blog. I've been in other blogs. Can you make a cutaway of that? Do you have articles that the publication with whom you are working has now put an online version, an online article of yours? Mm -hmm. And so that now becomes a link that you can make. It becomes a reprint you can make if you want to go hard copy. It becomes a PDF you can post. Do you have a trademark? You know I have 
the mm-hmm. work-life balance expert. I also have 11 other trademarks. Yeah. You have the acorn principle. The trademark itself makes for a wonderful artifact. It looks official. It looks good. Yeah, it have you posted it on your site? Do you have it as a PDF? Could you send it to somebody? Can you send them the link, the descriptive information? You know, we all need to Google ourselves, pardon the expression, on a regular basis to make sure that we're finding the best of what's out there that we can reuse. We have to not just Google Jim Cathcart, we have to do by Jim Cathcart in quotes, Uh with Jim Cathcart in quotes, feeding Jim Cathcart. We have to have a variety of action terms before our names to make sure we capture the real good stuff. Wow. And if you happen to have a common name, in my case, there's a Jeff Davidson who's a councilman in Iowa. Mm -hmm. So I'll put minus councilman. Oh, well, that's good news. I didn't realize that feature. In your case, you have no problem whatsoever. No. Remember this. It's not just the artifact per se. What does the artifact really represent? The artifact represents evidence. That's what we're giving to the next party. Proof. Credibility. Yeah, building the brand. They want to know. There's an expectation here. If somebody says, okay, I'm on information overload. I absolutely get it, and I want to be like Jeff someday. You know, where do I start? Replay VOE. Yes. That's one good start. Amen to that. And then pick the one area where you know you can make a nice, easy inroad. That's it. Just pick one area. Make an easy entry. Once you get a couple of these artifacts in place, you get so inspired and so turned on, you don't have a problem collecting them for the rest of your career. Now you're on the lookout for them. (laughs) Jeff, this is pure gold. Thank you so much. Voices of Experience is brought to you by the National Speakers Association as a member service. And it's made better not only by our expert staff at the headquarters in Tempe, Arizona, but also by the generosity of High Point University's Nito R. Cubain School of Communication. We are grateful for their support and especially to Alina Aldrich, the producer who helps create this message each month. Robert Fishbone provided our soundtrack music this month. It's called Hellstead's Bridal March. Last month, I called my comments, Meet Me Backstage. This month I have a better title, Stay Tuned. That's certainly something musicians have to do, and perpetual learners need to do it as well. We need to stay tuned into our industry, our speaking best practices, the world around us, and most of all, to the person who's directly in front of us at any given time. And certainly, you need to stay tuned to VOE. NSA has a treasure of a member in Janice Stanfield. She's traveled the world, literally, sharing her music and messages. And this month's Music of the Month feature is her song, Wings of Eagles. Deep inside me there's this long like a bird that needs to fly I've been captured by indecision But I was born to sail the sky And I will fly on wings of eagles I will sail on wings of change Unencumbered by the past 
I face the new day unafraid Life is rich with possibility This is my moment, my time to shine All it takes is a little faith And on the wings of eagles I will fly There's a stirring in my spirit Telling me I'm free to fly There's a small voice I can hear it Telling me it's time to try And I will fly on wings of eagles I will sail on wings of change Unencumbered by the past I face the new day unafraid Life is rich with possibility This is my moment, my time to shine All it takes is a little faith And on the wings of eagles I a little faith and on the wings of eagles I fly All it takes is a leap of faith and on the wings of eagles I Thank you very much, Jenna. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.